We good? Awesome. Well, good morning, church. As uh, spoken, I am Bo Gonzalez. I'm one of the elders here. Um, usually a music guy and not so much a pulpit guy. So if you're visiting with us, um, this is not our normal situation here. Welcome. It's good to have you here with us. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, um, and we'll be there in, a, in just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 5. A while back, it's actually when we were in confined space here in, uh, in 2020, Pastor Dave did a series on the book of Ephesians, on this particular passage of scripture, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. And he did a five-part study on marriage in 2020. And you can view or listen to that in our sermon archives. It's called The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And it's uh, put on a gospel message, uh, parts one through five. There are five sermons um, that I am going to try to not uh, overstep this morning. Uh, we're going to look at this, this particular passage from a different perspective. And so I ask you to be patient as we look at this, not specifically speaking to the wife's role or the husband's role, but rather to provoke thought regarding a husband's love for his wife and Christ's love for his church. And finally, this mystery that he speaks of, Paul speaks of in verse 32. So I intend to dig into this text and to help us grasp how that mystery applies to a Christian marriage and the church and uh, to help us give a tighter grasp on that, who we are in relation to Christ, to one another as his bride and as his body and also his church. And so, of course, we can't forego. There's a lot of stuff here on marriage, and uh, I do I intend to kind of gloss over some of these, but that's not specifically where our text will be. So if you came and read in the newsletter that we're going to be speaking on Ephesians 5, 22, you wives are probably, yes, my husband really needs to hear this. There will be some of that, ladies. Um, but we will not also be speaking to demanding or calling out you women to submit as well. Uh, we'll see that, that that's what the church does to Christ, in Christ. So husbands, verses 25 and 33 in this passage are much more direct and really call us out to an impossible task apart from Christ. It is literally an impossible task to love our wives as Christ loved the church. When we can't even comprehend what his love is that got us out of the pit and brought us from death to life in the first place. And so it needs to be said and understood that the word submit that's found here in verse 22, which we'll read here in a moment, uh, is not a word or used, uh, a term used to imply value on the wife. And so there is a lot of talk of toxic masculinity and patriarchy and all of this stuff, and none of that stuff was intended in a biblical marriage. We see this word submit in the New Testament here, especially in, in this passage. It's to bring order to marriage and not necessarily uh, dominion one over the other, but to bring order and unity in the marriage. And so Christ, as Christ is the head of the church, he establishes the husbands to be the head of the wife and the wives are to submit to that authority. So the same word is found in verse 21, which is not part of today's text. Uh, the church is to submit to one another as a body of believers and as Paul finishes the imperatives in this passage, if you remember when Dave took us through Ephesians, the first three chapters speak of the indicatives of, of who Christ is and what he is to us and who we were. And then once that's all explained, then he, it shifts. It's like a pendulum swing. And then he gives us instruction on how to live out our faith. And we see that beginning in uh, chapter 4. 
and on through the remainder of the book. And so he finishes imperatives where he begins in chapter four and then he finishes them at the end of chapter six. And so as believers, husbands and wives are called to submit to one another as verse 21 speaks of, which we will read later. But in the context of marriage, it's important that we understand that hierarchical order and how God has established marriage from the beginning as we look at a marriage in contrast or parallel to our relationship to Christ. So in chapter five, um, beginning in verse 22, we see that shift of those imperatives. And that shift that we see in these instructions, if we look at, if we were to take the book apart, we would see that the specific teaching changes that Paul is now teaching on marriages in uh, chapter five, verses 21 through 33. And then we see that he speaks about children and par parents, their relation to uh, one another in chapter six, one through four and bond servants and masters in chapter six, verses six through nine. And church, I would encourage you also, um, if there are things that are spoken this morning that you're like, wow, I'd like to know more on that. Dave did an exhaustive work through the book of Ephesians and all of those sermons are on our, in our archives. I would encourage you to go back, find the topic and hunker down and, and get to know a little bit more about this particular passage of scripture. So this message this morning comes in three parts. The first is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's going to be found in verses 25 through 27. And second, we will be talking about nourish and cherish as you are nourished and cherished. That's going to be in verses 28 through 30. And then one flesh, the mystery of Christ and his church, found in verses 31 through 33. So let's read this passage together, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm turning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22 and on through verse 33. We'll read this passage, we'll pray, and then we'll begin our sermon this morning. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present her to himself, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we come to you again this morning, and we ask that you would give us instruction in what it means to be part of your church, or that we would comprehend how you would parallel this passage with a marriage. Even the sexual intimacy of a marriage and that union that it's to be only between one man and one woman, Lord, this mystery is presented to us in this passage in regards to our relationship with you, Jesus, our King. So, Father, we ask that you teach us, guide us, and encourage us on how we ought to be 
more like you in relation to one another as your body, the church, in expectation of being the bride or you being our groom coming for us one day. And Lord, that we would be able to love our wives and our wives would love and comprehend and understand the word submission. And that we as a local church would help one another in our marriages to be strengthened and encouraged. I pray, Father, that you would have your way with our hearts this morning. As I know, there are many marriages in this room that are hurting or even past hurting, have become numb and hard-hearted. Lord, would you use your word this morning and me as a vessel to your glory to help. To help strengthen those who are weak, those who are frustrated, and that you would bring just love and understanding to each couple that's here. And Father, to the unmarried, I pray also that you would use this as an encouragement, that they would know what to see in a man or a woman as they seek a spouse. That those who are single, Lord, would know what it means to be one with you and what, would it, be, what it means to be one with another, with a husband or a wife. So minister to our brothers and sisters who have not yet married as well. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was given this passage to, to teach on in regards to, excuse me, <coughs> marriage in the church, I've spoken on marriage in the church often, but I wanted to bring us to an understanding of what I'm seeing as a Christian, what I'm seeing in culture and what I'm seeing in society, which I'm sure you all are seeing in culture and society, and that we as a local church are united, in fact, with Christ as one, but it seems that marriage and personal relationships and understanding of Christianity on an individual basis has just kind of gone awry, especially in these last few years. I um, did some research, internet is awesome for this, divorce rates are high, I found a law firm in San Diego, they have these, all of these things on divorce, they're divorce attorneys and they have all of this stuff. Over 115 studies and facts from 2022. Some actual good news among younger couples who are getting married uh, younger uh, married couples are making more of a commitment uh, to working out their relationship regardless, regardless of some of the societal pressures and outcomes. So in this study, I don't know if you caught any of this stuff, but if not, I'll just read through it. So the number one reason for divorcing amongst this, this is a non-religious based group. This is a, a bunch of attorneys, right? This is what they see. So these are some things that kind of stood out in general terms. One of the number one reason was a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment was 73% of marriages uh, wind up in divorce because of lack of commitment from one or the other or both. 56% said that they argued too much. And I could probably relate to that in my younger years as a husband. 55% um, divorced because of infidelity. Unfortunately, I can also relate to that as I was one of the culprits of that in my marriage. And the Lord um, has spared us, and we are not a statistic of that 55%. 46% married too young. I was 21 when I got married. My wife was 19. We're going to be 38 years married this coming August. And so I would encourage you to not be uh, swayed by being married too young, but that is a statistic that many get married too young. 45% is unrealistic expectations. And I would find that that's very, very true. 
in almost every counseling session that I've ever been a part of, one or the other has wrong or misguided expectations of their spouse. And then on top of that, they don't know how to communicate or try to get their spouse to see what that expectation even was. And then the irony that I find to that is oftentimes once the spouse sees to their husband or the husband sees to the wife, this is what I really mean, um, then it becomes not so much of a big thing and they just kind of work through that. But they kind of stonewall when those expectations aren't met. And that is a, a very high reason why many, many marriages wind up in divorce. A lack of equality in a relationship, 44%, 41% lack of preparation for marriage, and 25% domestic violence or abuse. Well, divorce rates are among Christians are very high, in my opinion, in comparison to what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> there are some well-known pastors that teach and believe that there is no biblical reason for divorce, period. And so I want to say with you here that we believe here at FCF and teach here that there are, in fact, reasons for divorce. Marital infidelity or adultery and abandonment from marriage is from an unbelieving spouse, of an unbelieving spouse, we believe are grounds for divorce. However, we also believe and teach, because the Bible says that God hates divorce, and we need to understand that. And if divorce is the course of action that you feel led towards, that we as your pastors will help you see all the possibilities and using that as a last ditch effort, a last resort, regardless of infidelity, regardless of all of the things that cause a person to want to divorce their spouse. And we'll do our best to help um, see all the possibilities of reconciliation and restoration in your marriage. So this is a very sticky, sticky topic and it warrants a deeper discussion that we will not be having in this marriage. But I wanted to just put that in the forefront of our mind that in a marital union, and as Christians, in a covenant union, people just take it upon themselves to say, you know what, I don't need this anymore, I don't want this anymore. Yes, I did it in the church, yes, I did it before the Lord, but you know what, I'm just not happy, or whatever these reasons, there are so many reasons in, that, in those studies. And we all know, and probably have been affected by divorces in one way or the other, I know many of us here have. And so, um, that is not the, the focus of today's message, but I want to put in your mind the thought of, how weak of a hold many people have of the covenant union of a marriage. And so we'll look at that and we'll look at the union that we have with Christ hopefully in a bit. Another thing, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19 being verse three. Matthew 19 verse three. Through nine, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, <clears throat> Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he, Jesus, answered and said, Well, have you not read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, well, why did Moses then command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. On the topic of marriage and divorce, it seems, again, that 
Christians and the society have just taken marriage and just kind of put it off as a thing to add to what I want out of life. Another thing that I find interesting is Christians and the term deconstructing their faith. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term. Um, Recently, there was an article, uh, February 15th, if you're taking notes, and I don't know if you caught any of this in our notes, Carrie, but February 15th, 2022, DesiringGod.com. The uh, author's name is John Bloom, and the, um, the topic was, uh, what does deconstruction even mean? And I would encourage you, if this is something that you are concerned about, to take a look at that. At least that, it's a good place to start. There are hundreds of, of, of resources to find out what this means. So in this article, John tries to explain the origins and the various ways of Christians. Christians are deconstructing their faith. When I first heard of deconstructing faith, I thought, how stupid is that? How, 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 can you, how can you just choose to get out of the hand of God or out of the will of God if we are one with him? How is that even possible? And so that gets into the whole view of can I choose salvation, can I not choose salvation? That is also another sermon for another time. But at face value, this may sound like they're leaving the faith or going apostate. Although many are leaving and have, in fact, gone apostate, <clears throat> that's not what or how this term is interpreted or understood by many. Uh, many are looking at the societal constructs of Western or American Christianity. And in so doing, they're seeing some of the cultural norms are not what they would like to see in their own faith. That could be the liturgy of a particular church or the ordinances or things that they just feel are, do not fit in how they would like to worship their God and King. And so many are deconstructing and sometimes reforming and understanding their faith, uh, uh, understanding for their, for their faith <clears throat> and regrouping or recalibrating, so to speak, to enrich their understanding and practice their faith. Now, this is where this becomes subjective. As many are moving away from denominational Orthodox Christianity, some are moving into more traditional forms like Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholicism. And this also is a, a sermon for another time. But I know that I know that maybe many of you parents uh, have, my children, my, my baby is 33. Um, I know many of you have, parents probably have dealt with or heard of uh, young men and women who are trying to figure out who they are in Christ and maybe, in fact, le left the faith. Maybe even your children. That's a really hard, hard blow to take. You, you take it personal that you failed your God and you didn't raise up your child in the way that he or she should go. And so then you feel like a failure. And so this is something that's very real. And it's very, very prevalent in colleges. It's very, very prevalent in music. It's very prevalent in, in all kinds of uh, societal structures. But where I find it, two areas where it's very, very prominent is one, in Christian music. A lot of Christian artists that are living this rock star life. Um, I'm talking like the CCM kind of Christian music, not kind of like what we do here. But a lot of those, a lot of those people are, are finding that Christianity worked for them until it didn't. And when they saw the things that they didn't like, they just kind of slid out of it. And you kind of wonder, were they Christians ever at all? In another area, um, you might lift your feet off the floor if you've homeschooled your children. But another area is with homeschooled children. Christian homes with parents who possibly, maybe you were a little strict, or maybe not. Maybe your child was just rebellious in heart. And they felt that all their life they lived under the pressure of mom and dad and mom and dad's faith. And so now they come to an age where they want to decide what is real faith. 
and they leave the faith that you brought them up in, and that can be devastating. And it's a very real thing that's going on in the church today. And so I wanted to just kind of touch on that because what I believe is I believe that many people don't understand the significance of what it means to be one in Christ. Whether we're talking about a marriage as the passage describes or whether we're talking about individually as we are collectively the church, which puts us in the individual category. And that's why I wanted to kind of preface this discussion with that. So... <clears throat> in order to understand how husbands are to love their wives we have to understand how uh, the, as best as possible how Christ in fact loves his church and ha- has shown in past tense his love for his church he's shown that by sacrificial death raising to life and giving the covenant promise of lo- new life eternal and continually by nourishing and cherishing his body until he returns for his bride the church us In order to understand the intent of this sermon, we must have a grasp on what the local church is. So as I referred to just a few moments ago, um, coming out of a series on the Ecclesia series that Pastor Dave just completed, we are probably pretty well versed in what it means to be the local church. I know some of you here are visiting and may not have been privy to that, those those sermons. And so um, we need to understand that a church is a body of born-again believers, not just those who walk inside a building and are within the walls of the church. The church is a body of born-again believers. They are those who have been brought from darkness to light or from death to life. They have been translated out of darkness into light and from death to life. They have been baptized as a public testimony of their faith and affirmation of Christian practice amongst the local assembly. It is affirmed by us as a body of believers that that particular brother or sister who professes faith is in fact walking as a Christian. They affirm one another's profession of faith and hold the keys to the kingdom together to practice love and unity amongst the local assembly. They put forth deacons to do the work of the ministry and they each serve the body of Christ, each one utilizing their gifts as servants unto Christ's body. For more on that, go up a couple passages to Ephesians chapter 4. They submit to pastoral authority and local church elders. They commune together. Here we do it weekly. They commune together by partaking of the Lord's Supper and withhold that privilege from those who are in unrepentant sin in accordance with our Lord's instruction in Matthew 18. So as this message is for the local church, those who believe in Christ, I want to take, take this time to say that if you're here and you're wondering about a relationship with God, God period, you're probably like, what is this guy talking about? Um, today may be your day to repent and believe. There's been a, a way for you to be right with God, and that way is, in fact, Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And it's because of Christ alone that we, anyone here in this room who believes, is able to believe. He's taken our sins upon himself and living a sinless life and allowed himself to be crucified with our sins on a cross. He died and rose from that death that we too may have eternal life and you too may have that life. And so if you are here and that is something that you are interested in or something that you maybe felt you need or you've been coming here for a while... I would encourage you to reach out, get one of those little cards in front of your seat there, and let us, let us reach out to you if you have questions specifically. We get them every week. 
write down what it is that you would like to be prayed for or if you would like to talk to a pastor. We would love to share Christ with you. And I would encourage you, if, if not that, maybe even speak to myself or one of our elders or anyone that you saw up front can direct you to somebody or speak to somebody before you leave these doors today. All right. That was the introduction. Point number one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's reread verses 25 through 27. Seems how it seems like an hour that I took you there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing the water with the word, and that he might present that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We see here in verse 25, the way that Christ loves his church is that he gave himself for her. That's you and that's me. I think those in the faith, we all know that. We all know and understand that. We have no problem understanding that Christ gave himself for us. We might have a hard time fathoming how that even happened, but we believe it by faith. And so we know that it cost him everything. It was a sacrificial love that he had for us. Nothing was spared. It was a very brutal death that he lived uh, through up to the point of exhausting his spirit. And that was a death that you and I deserved on that cross. But he took that from us and for us. And so this is one way that he loved us. He also left his place in heaven and condescended to become a man and live a completely sinless life for you and me. That's incomprehensible to me. To be purely holy and purely God and to come into a flesh stained with sin and still yet not sin and take that, that carcass of flesh to the point of death so that you and I could have eternal life is unfathomable but amazing. In verse 26 it says that he might, Christ might sanctify her, making uh, her conformable in character or set apart from God, that's us. So the Lord does that with us. He gives us his word, he gives us his church. We'll speak about that in a moment. And having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, by revealing, us to, by revealing his word to us, he's giving us the ability to have faith and to believe all things, to be transformed by a renewing of the mind and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and finally to present her, the church, to himself, holy and without blemish. Well, to better understand this, you might think this is going to be weird, but here we go. To better understand this, I think we need to take a look into the Jewish culture at the time of this epistle and the practices of a Jewish wedding. We need to know that this epistle is written to the Gentiles. I understand that, non-Jews. But um, it was customary to betroth the bride to her husband. This was a big deal. Often that, that marriage, those marriage betrothals were not at the behest of the, of the young couple. Sometimes they just didn't even have a clue of her that, who that person was going to be. Today, in American culture, usually a couple gets together. They kind of decide if they're compatible, compatible based on whatever criteria they've established. And, and they possibly ask their parents if they can get married. Usually in most marriages, the couple just makes a decision and then tells the parents they're getting married. Um, or they just go out and do it and then tell the person that they got married, the parents that they got married. In this epistle, Paul is speaking, about, is speaking to Gentile believers, but again, the Middle Eastern culture and some Asian cultures also practice this form of betrothal 
this process in some way, shape, or form. So the arrangements were made by the parents, and there was a dowry given from the husband's father uh, to the family. Um, there would be this, this, this union made uh, with the families together uh, for the sake of the children because there was going to be a marriage in that particular couple. Parental oversight would go so far as when the actual marriage would finally happen after the betrothal period, parental oversight would go so far that when the marriage was consummated intimately, a white linen cloth would be used on the woman to test and assure that the bride was in fact pure prior to the marital consummation. Kids, if you think parents are in your business now, this, this, is, this is a whole, whole nother level. That's a vivid picture of the purity that was expected for a bride in a marriage. And so, when we read about Christ presenting himself to his church, we, we, we see this played out. You see that we are in Christ and we are united with him, but we still await that return of Christ. We still re- await that time where we will be with him eternally in glory. And so, it's, it's a type of that betrothal process. We are one and we are united with him now at this very moment. As a matter of fact, we have learned that as a church, collectively, he has imparted his spirit within us as a body of believers. And in that body of believers, we are to help one another become that church and present ourselves as a bride to him because he is coming again. So we as a church are in process of being sanctified and washed by the cleansing of his water through the word. And so then... What are we presented with at the time? So that when we are presented with him at the time of his return, that we would not only be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we would be holy. I'm going to do another thing that doesn't happen often from this pulpit. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. It's not going to get weird. Just bear with me. I think this is absolutely beautiful. Revelation 19 Um, beginning in verse 6. Revelation 19, 6. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's what Isaac instructed us this morning as we sang that song this morning. For the fine linen, listen, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down and worshipped him. Church, there is a day coming when we are going to be in the presence of our great king eternally. I forget that. Maybe you don't. But I do. With struggles of life and just things and another thing on my calendar or Another, I got stuck Friday in my truck in the mud when I was trying to get home on time and little things like that just kind of nudge me off task of the big picture. And so I want us to see this morning that we are a major part of that big picture because Christ has 
brought himself uh, and, and is preparing his body, us, the church, because one day we are that bride waiting for him to return for us. And so, <coughs> excuse me, what does this look like uh, um, with men? I kind of want to seesaw with this relationship of husbands and wives and the relationship with Christ and his church. So what does this look like, men? How is it even possible to love the way Christ loves? Not that the wives have it any easy, easy by any means, especially putting up with some of us, but our requirement um, is, not in, of, is not so much of submission, but it's, it's sacrificial love to the point of death. Giving ourselves for the sake of our bride we are without excuse. I find that I've learned that in practical leadership just in the world, um, it's been said that you never want to ask your subordinates to do or go and do something that you wouldn't do yourself. A lot of leaders don't lead that way. They just tell everybody what to do. But Christ actually did that. He didn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And he has provided the way. And he, in fact, is that way, the truth, and the life. So brothers, nowhere in this passage in Ephesians, as we read earlier, are we to demand submission of our spouse. That is not what Paul is saying in that passage of Scripture. But I know that many of you have used that passage of Scripture to tell your wife that they are submit to submit to you. And God help you if you told her to make you a sandwich after you made that statement. <laughs> it's a wonder that you're here. Those guys are probably are not here. They're probably in a grave somewhere. We're not charged to even remind her of it. That's, that's a command that's given to her. It's her responsibility. It's the wife's responsibility to learn and comprehend what that means to submit to a husband. Brothers, our responsibility is to lead her to holiness, to deny ourselves, and not demanding her to be our maidservant, the one who does our laundry, the one who cooks our food, the one who raises our children. That's not... What we do is tell a wife what to do. In the beginning, we saw that it was for man to be comforted by a wife, which we'll see here in a moment. So, nowhere does this refer to husbands and wives in regards to them being a maidservant. That is one of the tasks that is given later as he speaks on masters and servants. So your wife is not a hired servant. She, in fact, is the daughter of your king. Do you see your wife as a blood-bought saint purchased by the same blood that called you out of darkness. I hope, men, that as you see your wife, if you see her through that lens and that perspective, that you change your attitude, that you change your heart. Wives are temperamental, right? Some of us guys can be. I, I can. You just saw me cry a minute ago. Wives are temperamental, and they, they take a special type of care and women are different. Not all women are the same. Don't, don't think that I'm trying to imply that. But men, regardless of women being all the same or different, you get one. And whatever one that one is, she is yours. There's not some other soulmate out there that you made a mistake and didn't get the right choice. And that, that's not how that worked. You, you have one. And so we are to love that woman as Christ loves us and give ourselves for her to cherish her and to nourish her and to do all that we can to help her to be the person that God desires her to be. So let's be reminded of that. 
I'd like to go back and read, just if you're still in Ephesians, well, let's go back to Ephesians. I took you to Revelation. Ephesians chapter 5, just verse 23. I'll read it if you don't need to get there. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself is, sa- it's, is, is its Savior. So as Christ is the head of the body, we are to submit to him. And we are to submit in the ways as described in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, uh, via the church, the body as a collective Uh, chapters 4 and 5. So brothers, I would also encourage you that you don't need a doctorate in theology or a master's degree to walk your wife through the scriptures or through concepts of what the Lord teaches you. It can be so simple. And I know some of you do this very well, but I also know that some of you don't do it maybe even at all, ever. How would you be a Christian if Christ never spoke to you and you had no Bible and you had no way to comprehend what it was that he was specifically desiring you to do as he leads you through your life how would you function think about that for a moment men when we do not love our wives and be that that leader in our home that's exactly exactly what you're setting your wife up for failure And usually what happens is the wife has children and there's jobs and life and busyness and then the wife starts taking over and she starts doing things that you were probably called to do, disciplining your children, training them in the Lord, teaching them scripture because you won't do it. And this becomes a norm in your family and over and over and you you get further and further apart and the more she does it, the more you can rest and you can go do the things you like to do. What if Jesus did that for us and just left us to flounder with no leadership, with no authority, with no love, with no nourishing, with no cherishing? You would be nowhere. And so, men, I I implore you to consider these things as you know who you are as a husband and what your expectations are as a husband with your wife. So, another thing is uh, the curse. Um, Genesis 3.16, we may know this, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, this is to Eve, and your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That is part of the curse from the very beginning, that women are going to, to look for the, to themselves and for themselves, and God has given us order for the husband to be over the wife. That is set up, a setup for disaster. But God, by his grace and mercy and his instruction, helps us walk us through that and helps us to be the husbands that we need to be and the women that we need to be as well. And so that rule over you is not meant to be one that is a dictator or one that is overbearing, but one who is loving and comforting and caring just as Christ loves the church. So brothers, many of us have been derelict of this duty of leadership in our homes. Many of us. I'm one of us. And we come here week after week, and guys, hey, how's it going, brother? Oh, hey, I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. You know, I got, a, I got drawn this year. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to, oh, that's great. Where are you going? Oh, well, the game's on today. I'm going to go do this and that. And we, we talk about this kind of stuff. And you're at church. You're amongst saints who have been purchased by the same blood that pulled you out of death and darkness. And you have a, a brief window to commune with one another and to pray for one another and to encourage one another 
And so if we have seen men who are derelict in this duty, I would ask you to speak to these men and to, to, to help steer into their lives and help them see what they can't see. Ladies, I would encourage you to do the same thing. If you know a young wife that thinks she has it all figured out, some of our older sisters here, and you've been there and done that, and you see that she's just going down the wrong path, by God's authority, you have the right and the command to go and teach that young woman and to encourage her to love her husband and to do things right. And so I would implore you as well to, to do that as we meet collectively and in your times outside of this, this area, outside of the church as well. So help each other get things right at home and be bold but loving in how you speak. But by God, speak. Speak that truth and love to one another. There is so much of that that it doesn't happen as it should in the local church. Well, now let's seesaw back to Christ in his church. You brothers are being sanctified, cleansed by the washing of the water of the word, and so that he might present you to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or even or without blemish. Sisters, this is also what Christ is doing for you. Even if you think your husband is not living up to your expectations, well, Christ is still sanctifying you in and through that. That's another hard pill to swallow. Because you might say, man, if only my husband was as godly as Pastor Dave and just had all his kids in order, and you know I'm joking, and he knows I'm joking, Dave, if you're listening, then my life would just be wonderful. Or, or pick a man that you think has got the perfect marriage. I tell you, it is not perfect. And so, ladies, find out what it means to be uh, one with your husband and figure out what that takes for you to be able to know and understand how he is leading or not leading you. And if it's not going the way you think it should be, well, then you need to be vulnerable and you need to ask for help. Not whine and complain, but sincerely ask a sister to really pray for you. I know that there are women here that do that for one another. And I know many of you... You have the resource and you don't take advantage of that. So make your relationships count and find ways to, to get yourself in a relationship to where you can have that intimate with, intimacy with other brothers or sisters. This takes us to point number two, to nourish and cherish. As you are nourished and cherished. So verses 28 through 30. We go back to Ephesians 5. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. <coughs> Excuse me. So how do we nourish and cherish our own bodies? Well, we sleep, we eat, we try to remain healthy to the best we can. Some of you brothers even get to get up and comb your hair in the morning and brush your hair. Praise God for that. Um, and we live all our lives daily thinking of, of ourselves first. I doubt very much that you go a day without feeding yourself or getting the drink that you want or maybe even going across town to get the certain type of sandwich that you like for lunch or uh, doing whatever it takes to, to satisfy yourself, to cherish and nourish your own body. So what does this cherish mean? This is definitely not a dude word. It's something like out of a romance novel or something like that. Uh, it means to gently care for. To, to hold in high esteem and to gently care for it because of its precious value. Paul uses this word in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to remind them that he had been gentle towards them as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Men, is that how you cherish your wife? 
And that's more than opening a door for her in the rain. That's really listening and understanding and, and putting yourself in a place of, of her first at that moment and listening and listening and listening. I know for me, I, I want to fix. I want to fix. It's so hard for me to just not listen. And so I've come to the place in my life and with Rose, it's like I have to ask, honey, I'm hearing what you're saying. Are you asking me to help you fix this? <laughs> That's a great question, guys. If, if you get anything out of today, write that down. Are you really, are you asking me to, and that's how I ask, are you asking me to fix this? And usually it's, no, I just, I'm just showing, and as soon as you, then I'm like, okay, and I'll listen some more. And, and usually at the end, by the time that, that communication comes out, she's fixed it. She's come to conclusion of just by being able to talk and having me care and listen to her that I fixed it and I didn't even to say anything. But my nature is to fix well, what you need to do is, you know, you need to talk to so-and-so. And if you would call, send her a text, and if, had you send her an email? Have you followed up in your emails? You know, that's how I think. That's how I do. And I have to not do that to poor Rose. And she gets that, like, every week. So it's a challenging thing. So, men, we need to listen as we cherish our wives. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. Men, this should be written as frontlets in your eyes. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. This part right here, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to her. God has given you someone who's comparable to you, but in a different way. And you are to honor that. As you honor that, you are honoring Christ. You are honoring the fact that he has given you his daughter. He purchased her with, with his blood, and he has handed her over to you, and you are to honor her and to cherish her. It says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and get this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't think our women in, have a passage that says that, that if you don't do this for your husbands, your prayers uh, are going to be hindered. Brothers, we have to understand this. This is, this is a, that wouldn't be in there if we didn't need to hear it. So, we may ask, how does Christ nourish and cherish his, uh, his body, his church? Well, let me count the ways. One of the ways is right here. He gives us his word. Another way is that he gives us the church. He nourishes and cherishes us by putting us in relationships of people that we like and people that we don't like. Right here amongst us. People that we just love to see and people that we're kind of like, mm, good morning, how are you doing? Right? And he puts us in those kind of relationships because he's nourishing you and he's cherishing you. Which one of those people do you think the Lord would rather you push into and steer into in a relationship? The one that just makes you comfortable every time you see them or the one that has that frowny face that you just kind of don't want to deal with that morning? I bet you it's that person. Because you once were that frowny-faced person, that person who was at enmity with God, and he condescended to bring you to make himself one with you. Most likely, that's the person that you need to be speaking to. So we need to get over ourselves and find ways to do that. The one flesh mystery of Christ and his church. 
He loves his body by using his church to build one another up for himself, that he may present us to himself. He nourishes and cherishes us individually so that we may work in unity together and become strong and healthy. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body joined and net together, every joint which is, which is equipped when every part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here are some more hard questions. Are you a help or a hindrance to that process in this local church? Are you standing in the way of blessing people by withholding your gifts? Are you cherishing his church body and nourishing it by functioning as a viable and healthy part of the local church? Are you, as you are being nourished and cherished by Christ, are you putting those health benefits that you're receiving by hearing the word and being prayed for and being loved, are you putting that back into his body to help it become healthy? Just as we just read in Ephesians 4.16. Brothers and sisters, church, he desires to use you not so much because he has a plan and purpose for your life, but because he has a plan and purpose for his church, which is his body. The church is the body of Christ. We are a, but a part of that. And we are, we are united with, with each other and we are united in Christ. So how you fit in that plan is up to you and your willingness to submit to him in obedience. So in what ways are you allowing Christ to nourish and cherish his body? Are you meeting in church regularly? Are you being generous in your offering of time, of your talents, and your treasures? Are you engaged in regular service in this local body? Are you finding ways that you can step out of your comfort zone and do things to help this church flourish? Well, there are many, many needs in our children's ministry, with ushers, with communion, with making meals, all kinds of things. Are you finding ways to engage? Are you encouraging others amongst us? Are you praying with them amongst us? Are you being hospitable to one another in this local church? Are you regularly reading and growing in your Bible knowledge, and not just on Sundays, but every day, so that when you do show up in church, you are strong and viable and healthy? And finally, point three, one flesh, the mystery of Christ and his church, verses 31 through 33. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and see that the wife sees that she respects her husband. In the beginning, we know, Dave did another great sermon series on this, that God tabernacled with Adam in the garden. And God, seeing that it was not good for him to be alone, he created a woman from his side, and Eve was formed from that man and created for his pleasure. Not a toy, not a servant, but a helpmeet for him. To dwell with him, to procreate with him. Remember, there was no sin at that point. And the father was now dwelling with Adam and his wife Eve. And then in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife or cleave, and they shall become one flesh. Well, here we go again, parents. This means that parents, especially moms, we must allow that to happen when our children grow up and get married. And that's another hard thing to do. Um, it's a tough task. It can be challenging to watch our young adults flounder at times, but they must grow. And 
our sons must learn to lead. They have to figure that out. And our daughters must learn how to submit, even if their husband is not leading his home right. You are not that fixer at that stage. Your, your husband, your son, I'm sorry, and your daughter have been called to leave and to cleave to one another. So in the beginning, God dwelt with Adam, his creator, and Adam and Eve. They were without sin, and they were also one flesh. But then the fall came. Because of that sin, the fellowship had been broken. They ate of the tree, and sin came upon them. Curses were doled out, and the covenant after covenant after covenant. From that time forward, man failed God until Christ. Christ institutes the new covenant of his blood, which we're going to be partaking of in remembrance in just a few moments. Now with the new covenant of his blood, those who repent and believe are made one with him. The church and Christ are in fact one. And as the, in the intimate relationship or the intention of a one flesh union, we as a church are also one with Christ. So in closing, this one flesh mystery speaks of the union of Christ and his church. That ultimate consummation to where we are with him in glory at that marriage supper of the lamb is yet to come and is something that we should look forward to so why do marriages fail why do individuals feel that they are autonomous so much so that they are just deconstructing or leaving or rebuilding a false reality when it comes to christ and the church i think that we just don't understand what christ had intended that it wasn't really about you it was about him and he wants to build a body of believers. We have to grasp that. We meet here every week. We have to grasp that. We are one with him. And as a plural group of believers, we are, in fact, his body. Yes, we each have our own relationship with him. But we are designed and called to be one. Just as Adam declared, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are now one with Christ. We are one body until he comes. He became flesh as we are flesh. And he did this without sin. And in this flesh he became sin while knowing no sin. Church, that was not probably the discussion on how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, and what does this look like in Ephesians 5. Because I wanted to take us to understand that great mystery. That Christ is in fact you, the body, collectively. Let's help one another to figure that out and live that out for the rest of our days until that day comes where we go to that, that supper of the Lamb and commune with him and commune with one another in glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, Lord, and thank you that we can have an opportunity to look into your word. Lord, this is a, a profound mystery to, to even comprehend that you would consider us your body you being the head of us is not hard to fathom but that we as ourselves knowing ourselves in our hearts you say that we are in fact your body would you help us to know and grasp that that we would love one another as you loved us that we would care and nurture and honor one another as you love us and husbands and wives, would you help each of us to know and understand? Hopefully in a different day, Lord, we will be able to speak through the, the, with clarity what it means to be a godly husband and a godly wife. But Lord, would you help us to heed your word this morning? 
Bless us as we leave this place. Help us to think and contemplate who we are in you. We give you all glory. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Let's sing a song together. Please stand with us.